Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Susie Lunardi. She has quite a extensive fitness journey, and it was a fun conversation we got to have talking about fitness, nutrition, injuries, and how she became to be or how she came to fall in love with cycling. I think you'll really enjoy her story. Many of you can relate to what she's gone through, or you know someone who's gone through what she has. So let's tune in. Susie, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. You are quite welcome. I'm super excited. Um, I love getting people on here um, talking about their injuries and the recovery process, but I'm also excited because you are both you're not a clinician yet, but you're in the process of becoming a clinician. So we have a couple different aspects that we can really discuss on here as far as the, knowing the rehab side of things as well as you going through this. So um, this is going to be really fun. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just give a little background first. Um, Fitness-wise, where kind of what does that journey look like for you? Okay, so I grew up playing soccer. I played soccer about 15 years. Um, got pretty nice sized quads because of it. <laughs> um, and I also kind of did some dancing when I was younger and then later fell in love with dance in high school. Um, danced about 19 hours a week by my senior year of high school. Loved it so much I went and became a dance minor in college um, and then continued to, to teach dance after that. Uh, but then I kind of took some time off, got a little distracted as most college students do, um, got really involved in research um, and that took me away from fitness for some time. Uh, and then later when I reconnected back to fitness, I just fell in love with weightlifting. Um, and then I, I started picking up probably my first set of dumbbells like for a commitment in about 2014. Okay. Um, and that was really just to try something new. I didn't have any goals or any plans about it at the time. Um, just curious, wanted to get in shape again, right? Get all the freshman 15 that never left me. <laughs> and that kind of snowballed into a bunch of other things. I spent about six months unemployed um, later in, this was 20, the end of 2015 into 2016. Um, and in that time, I decided to go do my yoga teacher training. Um, so that, my first exposure to yoga was with dance. Um, our dance teachers really recommended to go and just try yoga for flexibility that was that was kind of all it was really known for at the time like once you really dig into it more um, there's so much to yoga so much strength like like isometric dynamic control the flexibility is one part of it the mental aspect is a huge part of it Mm -hmm. Um, the meditation the whole other thing so that was a really enriching program for me and it was split over a five-month time span so it allowed me to try other things while I was working on yoga Um, so I got even more involved in in weightlifting um, and that also encouraged me to go get a personal training certification so between the two of those things I kind of kept that my regular balance for some time until I wanted to start putting my own fitness goals on it and that's where I found bodybuilding okay Um, And then yoga became kind of my act of recovery and keeping me healthy throughout the bodybuilding process. But I learned a lot. I got a coach. Um, He taught me how to do off-season prep, which was heavy, heavy resistance training, um, high load, high intensity, you're going for it. And then um, we did more of a pre-season prep, which is kind of what people refer to as prep in bodybuilding. It's the... Um, either 12 or 16 week program before a show 
where you start to kind of dial in the workouts, make it more muscle specific to what you're you're trying to build on, um, and then the diet starts to become a thing as well. That was a fun year and a half or so <laughs> of of projects <laughs> on fitness, um, and then when bodybuilding kind of ended for me at the time, uh, I needed something so different because it's such an extreme sport, um, and the the recovery out of it is really hard so I started golfing (laughs) very very opposite Um, very quiet very independent not in the gym at all didn't want to look at a dumbbell at the time Um, just wanted to kind of learn a new strategy Um, so then golf became a big um, focus for me and of course PT had been integrated probably uh, let's see I started pursuing the the journey into PT school, like going through all my prerequisites in 2016. So this has always kind of been in the background. I knew I was working towards it. Um, but the closer I got to going into PT school, the more kind of refined I got with my fitness and the way I started thinking about fitness changed as well. So that was kind of a very diverse background from soccer <laughs> all the way to golf. Not to mention that as a little kid, I probably played any sport. You name it, I tried it. My parents threw me in everything, including like baton classes <laughs> and synchronized swimming. So it's all there. But now, um, as I was talking with you earlier, cycling has become a big fan of mine. So so it's, it's all there. There's the fitness. <laughs> that's awesome. And I love that you talk about the act of recovery because that's such a forgotten component for so many people and it's such an important component if not the most one of the most important components when we are talking about fitness mm-hmm. so for you with your heavy training at that time what did your active recovery look like yeah great question so um, I committed myself to a minimum of yoga once a week and that that means 60 to 90 minutes of a good flow not necessarily TV stretching that to me is you can be yoga, right? It depends on your mindset and what, what postures you're doing or poses you're doing. But um, this was a, a committed practice on my mat in a studio, um, typically with an, with another teacher. I have my own self-practice as well. But um, for me personally, and it's not the same for everyone, I just need to be the student. And I think it comes from, um, from having all these certifications that if I practice on my own, I can't get out of my own mindset of, oh, this would be great to teach to my students. Okay. Oh, this is a good flow. I, oh, I liked how I transitioned that. Or, oh, I'll definitely program that for like my next class that I teach. And I just somehow I can't get out of that mindset. So I like to selfishly go be the student <laughs> and just have someone else guide me through. Um, and then the other parts of my recovery is that TV stretching I mentioned. I do stretch about 20 minutes daily, um, whether or not I did a 90-minute workout, a 60-minute workout, if that's resistance, if it was cardio, it doesn't matter, I'm stretching. My workouts them, in themselves also have a stretching component. I'll do a dynamic stretch in the beginning, um, anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes, depending on if I paired it with some warm-up cardio. Um, and in at the end of my workouts, I'll do a 20-minute static stretching. Um, when the body's warmer, when, the, when it can handle a little bit of longer ranges of motion and you can kind of ease into it um, and get some some progress too mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so um, that's a big that's a big part um, active recovery in its sense is like for me a lot of walking 
Um, I like I try to be active. I try to hit that ten thousand step goal. Um, I was obsessed with my Fitbit in 2016, like super obsessed <laughs> with it. <laughs> in fact, I got so obsessed with it that I like sought them out and I actually got to do a um, photo campaign with them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so if you go to their app, you'll see me on there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, but they, I was just really committed to getting those steps in and, and it was kind of fun. I worked as a trainer, as I mentioned, and so I had... Um, I had like a bunch of other trainers at the gym I worked at. We would compete for steps against each other, and we never we never could beat this one guy Will. <laughs> Will was a PE teacher during the day and then a trainer at night, so he was always on his feet and he was always moving with the kids. So there's no beating Will. <laughs> so that walking, um, stretching, including yoga, and um, and then even in the peak of bodybuilding. I actually was seeing a um, manual therapist uh, or a massage licensed massage therapist once every two weeks and she would work on um, I would see her more if I could afford it (laughs) Um, but she would work on anything I'd come in and say okay this muscle was was really tight today and I need you to like help me focus on that and she would just do about 60 minutes or so on that muscle Um, not always the the really deep part you don't want to overwork it but um she she knew how to kind of focus on things that just really needed release for me so that's a huge part and of course hydration that's kind of, i'm gonna say leave that as the last one like that's <laughs> that's the big part of recovery too you've got to keep you got to keep water in and out and yeah exactly <laughs> keep it flowing yep <laughs> uh i do want to you mentioned a kind of been just passing as far as with the bodybuilding those last 12 weeks really getting that diet under or and you know tune dialed in I guess is the best way to put it um so let's just address the nutrition side of things um not necessarily for that bodybuilding part but well partially for that but let's talk about that but also um kind of what you do now just for maintaining but also um if you do anything specific more for the recovery side of things with your nutrition Okay, cool. Um, I could talk about food forever. So <laughs> score. <laughs> yeah. Um, the for the bodybuilding, it's very very disciplined. Um, I my diet program was included with my coaching, and so we had like I had a binder of a list of things I could eat. I had a list of proteins, a list of vegetables, a list of grains, um, a, so or more complex carbs, and a list of simple carbs. Um, my fruits and things like that. And he would say, okay, um, it was seven meals a day, uh, six to seven meals a day, depending how late I stayed up. And I was eating every three to four hours. Um, And he'd say, okay, you can pick a protein and and a vegetable and a complex carb earlier in the morning. And that would start to adapt. And simple carbs were basically the first meal and never again. Um, that would start to adapt to, okay, you can have a protein and two vegetables and you just kind of pick through the list, um, until the end of my 16 week prep, I'd say the, la- the last 10 days before my show, all seven meals, uh, consisted of four ounces of white fish and a cup of asparagus. <laughs> that was it Four and I could only eat cod because anything that was uh, farm raised like tilapia was giving me skin rashes um, and I can't afford halibut as a student so <laughs> right so it was cod <laughs> so I ate four ounces of cod and a cup of asparagus for seven meals for 10 days 
which is repulsive that and sounds re- awful. Yeah, requires the most insane amount of discipline that I've ever adjusted in my life. Um, and I lost salt. You had to stop eating salt uh, three days before the show, so now you take away seasoning. It's just, <laughs> it was the worst. I said I would never work with a coach again that required that. that. Because there are other ways to do it. Um, it did give me results, though. But um, that was so extreme for me that the diet process after the show um, was really tough. And this was my first show, so I wasn't as experienced as some of the other com- uh, competitors in how to do a reverse diet, um, which is you kind of take what, like as you scale and start to eliminate things off that list, basically you get to add them back on in the same slow progression. So you don't just go full-blown back to eating whatever you want or even back to eating a, like what you would say is a normal healthy diet. Like You're supposed to kind of ease yourself back in for two to three weeks, um, but I didn't listen. So <laughs> I went and ate like crazy amounts of desserts and I was just like, I hadn't had sugar or alcohol in 16 weeks. I was ready to go and I wanted to like eat everything. Um, that turned into no joke. I gained 20 pounds in three days. (laughs) Most of course is water and salt. Um, but it was like the most painful bloated experience. And I ended up creating kind of this, like, um, it, it almost felt like the sports, uh, anorexia nervosa, um, eating disorder where you kind of go into these guilty binge eating moments where you can't help it. You just, Oh my gosh, it's so good. I want to keep eating all of it. Um, then you feel terrible about yourself and about food and you, you wonder if your relationship with food is ever going to be the same again. Uh, that was like a three month process. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So it was a lot of, of, of emotional healing and mental healing to kind of get through that and, and become back into this healthy relationship with food again. Um, I, prior to my show, I had been already like a big MyFitnessPal food tracker, Mm -hmm. um, and that was actually the app that I recommended to all my training clients. Um, And I would say, okay, you don't have to track food every day, just track food Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That way you have an example of what your work week looks like, you have an example of what your hybrid day looks like, and you have an example of what your weekend diet looks like. Okay. And just give me those three days. Don't don't change anything. Don't think, okay, but because I'm tracking, like I should be really good about my diet today and my trainer's gonna be really impressed with me and, and then we'll go from there. Like, don't change it, because if you change it, we don't have the truth to work off of. Mm-hmm. So be real, if you had two chocolate covered almonds, say you had two chocolate covered almonds, like let me see all of it and get really, really specific about it so that we can work from there. Um, so I did that for myself. I, I would track two chocolate covered almonds, like I went the whole route. And I did that daily for, I had like a year and a half streak on my fitness pal. I mean, it was insane. Because <laughs> um, you have to be a little crazy to get into this lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I do it too, but yeah. I agree. <laughs> um, and so it, Flash forward again, so I I just couldn't get back into this tracking thing. It kind of came with the sickness of like this binge eating thing. Like I didn't want to lift a dumbbell, didn't want to track my food, just struggled all over again. And um, it took me another eight months before I could eat cod again. (laughs) And to this date, honestly, I still don't eat asparagus. (laughs) 
I've had a bite here or there, and I just, no, uh, oh, I just can't. <laughs> um, but I did somehow, I don't know, maybe it was just time. Uh, maybe it's just the fact that I still have a love for the fitness world. Health and wellness will probably always be a part of me. And so in, in time, I just found that my diet started to kind of normalize. Like time was really the healing element there. Um, and where I am today, I do track my food about once a month. Um, and I do it just to kind of see like where, where are my calorie levels at? Where are my macro levels at? Um, and I do that to kind of judge how my energy is. Um, who I am now and what I'm doing now is very different from where I was then. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, at the time my job was training, teaching yoga and being a personal trainer. And so I had all the time to just be in the gym and my diet was a reflection of what I was doing. And now I'm a PT student and I like grad school is no joke. And I live in Manhattan and there's delicious food everywhere. <laughs> so it's, it's totally different. And I sit eight to 10 hours a day, unfortunately, yeah. which really sucks, but you can't do anything about that. Um, so my diet has, has changed with that. Um, and so I use tracking as just a way to see, okay, like, is this, am I tired because I'm underslept or is there, am I missing something in my diet? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm, I do try to keep pretty healthy on food. I, I enjoy drinks on vacation or on the weekend. Um, I'm not really a, a big weekly drinker at all either. And drinking has a big effect on fitness. So oh yeah. It's, without it's a doubt. Worth noting, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> without a doubt. Chocolate every day. No. <laughs> it's like, but I do that. <laughs> All right. So let's, um, one thing you did not mention when we were talking about your fitness journey is how you, or the reason you got into cycling. And, yeah. And that's a big reason I wanted to get you on here. Uh, so you did have an injury. I did. So let's talk about how that all happened. Okay. That was unfortunate. Um, that was earlier this year in February. Uh, we're coming up on June. So what are we looking at? Four months, Four months ago? ago? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a nice cold 25 degree morning in Manhattan. And I had just walked 15 minutes to my yoga studio to go take class. Uh, so I'm coming in with a cold body and I probably didn't do much the night before. So my body's probably stiff on top of it. And actually what I what I hadn't told you earlier about, um, about this story, because we talked about it a little bit earlier, is this class um, on Saturday morning is the same class that my teacher does on Monday nights. And she teaches the same flow. And I had also taken the Monday night class. So there was another factor, which was that I was going into a class where I felt confident already in the flow. And um, sometimes that means that my mind is, is pushing me through the flow and I'm not really being present and listening to my body because I was using my past experience to say, oh, I can do this and I'm ready for this. Let's bring on the peak pose. Um, rather than, than noticing that I'm coming in now with a stiff body, the temperature is cold, I'm not allowing myself to really ease in and be present in my body. And because of that, um, everything was just very stiff in the practice and I was going into Baddha Konasana, which is bound triangle pose, um, where you have your front arm wrapped around your front leg and your back arm is wrapped around your back and your arms are linked under your front leg together. And at the same time, you're opening your top hip up towards the ceiling. So hopefully that picture <laughs> is there. <laughs> so in that process of opening my hip, 
the bind around my leg with both my arms kind of pulling my, my leg back down towards the floor created this stretch um, on my hamstring that was pulling in opposite directions. And as that was kind of pulling both ways, and I'm actually using, I did a little bit of a contraction to kind of squeeze and lift my pelvic floor up so that I could get that hip higher. So now I'm taking a forced stretch on a hamstring that I'm trying to contract. And that means if you're trying to, to lengthen and shorten a muscle at the same time, that's cold. It's not- Bad things are gonna yeah, happen. Bad things are gonna happen. <laughs> and I hear this pop right around my ischial tuberosity, which is my sit bone for, for most people. Um, and down I went. So <laughs> that was not a fun moment. Um, I, I tried to, I went basically face down on, onto my mat started taking deep breaths like okay don't cry in class <laughs> whatever you do don't cry but the nervous system was stronger than I was <laughs> and the shock went like set in and my sympathetic nervous system went into major fight or flight and I just started crying and I just broke down so I got myself out of the classroom not to disturb the rest of the class um, went into the lobby started testing everything I could like okay is it my hip is it my hamstring <laughs> like quick test before the inflammation sets in yeah um definitely muscular definitely couldn't you know at the time sound, felt like hamstring sounded like hamstring but was 100% sure um with time and with a um a clinician opinion confirmed hamstring so grade two hamstring tear um took a full eight weeks um to really be able to do anything but I'd say around week five, I started to try to do things. <laughs> um, eight is when I felt like I was nine, 90%. Okay. Yeah. What did your rehab process look like? I know it was a little different than what most, kind of what the standard, I guess, quote unquote standard um, therapy process is. Um, so what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, I, I probably babied it a little bit longer than you would in a standard rehab process. Um, sometimes you can, you can, depends on the person, of course, if everything in physical therapy is, it depends. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, but I, I became a more of a subacute patient, um, because I didn't actually get a second opinion outside my own experience, um, until nine days, uh, post tear immediately that, that the day of the injury, I went home from yoga and I iced my hamstring. And I spent the whole day on the couch icing my hamstring, 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off, had nothing else to do. So I was very committed to that schedule, <laughs> um, taking some Advil for inflammation and just kind of trying to keep myself calm and see that it wouldn't be anything worse, see what kind of bruising occurs the <laughs> next day, <laughs> Right. just waiting it out. Um, and I did that for three days until I had to go back to school. <laughs> Um, I think it was a holiday weekend. I think it was President's weekend. So okay. I had Monday, fortunately, to rest. Oh, for summer. Great, yeah. <laughs> um, but then it was back to school. And so I, fortunately, of course, working with physical therapists as your teachers, there's a lot of, not, I wouldn't say like leniency in the classroom, but they're, they're very kind in, in trying to really care about what's going on. So I got a lot of, of opinions. And we started, so I say nine days because that's actually the first day I started making a treatment plan for it. Okay. Um, so we, we used an article. When I say we, it's um, one of my favorite professors who I work with in her vestibular research lab, too. That's a whole other topic. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, 
but we were looking at an article uh, by researchers Sherry and Best on a comparison between um, between two different types of treatment plans for hamstring tears. Um, they used acute patients and they looked at the difference between a strength and and uh, stretching program versus an agility and stabilization program. Um, and what the what the article suggested was that the um, stabilization and agility plan had a more successful rate of long-term recovery. That uh, fewer of those athletes came back with re-tears or re-injury. Oh. So obviously I'm gonna try to do the better one. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> and use myself as a science experiment because that's fun. <laughs> exactly. So we, we kind of mocked using their article um, and their program and I tried those things out and, and if it was pain, I would stop. If it was discomfort, I would push through a little bit, go home and make sure I iced after each session. Um, it started really slow um, and I did that for two, three weeks. Um, and I leveled up on the third week to the phase two within their program design as well. Um, and then by week week four, week five, um, I was just mentally going crazy and I was itching to do anything else. Um, so I took a cycling class, uh, which is great because you're in a dark room and no one can see you. So if you decide to, to not do what the teacher does, it's okay. <laughs> it's totally okay. So it was really a place where I could listen to myself and really listen to my body um, and just focus on getting the mechanic of the bike going through, but also not be in a gym where I'm just on a recumbent bike or upright bike and boring myself um, to have some kind of music in a dark space. It was nice. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, I, this was the second time I've ever taken a cycling class, um, which is how I kind of knew that I was like, okay, it'll it might be it might be the an okay environment um, and it worked out great and I told the teachers every time I went back to a class I told the teacher hey I just want to let you know I tore my hamstring five weeks ago six weeks ago seven weeks ago um, so on like I'm I'm gonna modify as needed I'm gonna drop the resistance as needed I'm gonna do what I have to do and through that process I just felt myself getting stronger and I almost kind of see that now as part of part of the stabilization and agility. Well, not so much agility because you're in a single plane. You're not really doing too much. Then again, there's change. Other topic. <laughs> um, but it, it worked for me. It worked for me. And I would do strength training upper body. Um, I still haven't gone back. I still haven't done lower body stuff. I've tried a couple. I've done one leg day one leg day now that I think about it and it wasn't like what I've used to do what I'm used to doing like I haven't done I haven't touched a barbell sadly I do miss them but <laughs> but baby steps you know and I'm at so we are at four months so it's like 16 weeks or so mm -hmm. um so yeah um, it's still it's still a process but I've been able to do cycling about five times a week now for the last three months the wait where are we at no two and a half months Gosh, time is crazy. <laughs> and I love it, and it's great. And now I have new problems. <laughs> <laughs> There's always new ones. Yeah, now I'm tight piriformis on both sides and hamstrings on the left. So as far as not returning to leg things yet, is it fear? Do you still not feel at 100%? What's your reason for that? I would say, um, oh, man. I, I actually had this conversation the other day about fear. Um, I would say a combination of both. Okay. I don't feel 
my true 100. Um, and part of that, I wonder if it has to do with the fact that I kind of have changed. I have been changing my routine. I've been changing what I'm doing. And even if I didn't have the injury, had I stopped resistance training and started cycling the way I do, I would still have the same feeling where if I went back and took say a, like a deadlift strength class of some sort, I, I could, you can, you can feel the atrophy. You can feel like the, the regression mm -hmm. because you've just taken that time away. Like that's a normal process. Um, so I'm not back to that 100 in strength and mind that I would have felt prior to this whole experience anyway. Okay. Um, but then the fear is a thing too, where I'll try to start using little ways to kind of push it. Two weeks ago, for example, I really upped the resistance that I did in the on the during cycling, and the next day it was so sore, and I had to ice my hamstring again. I had to ice um, ice the injury site, and the other hamstring got really tight as well. But the the injury kind of you could feel it a little bit, and so the fear sets in to say like, okay, well it doesn't feel it doesn't feel a true one hundred percent, and you know, when I do push a little bit of resistance, um, this is what happens. So now if I go back and I, I mentioned that I took, um, or I had done one leg day workout and in that leg day workout, I did a lot of band work. I, I was playing with resistance bands. I was, um, doing more so dumbbell work. So I had done, um, dumbbell, um, deadlifts. So I was able to do the hinge kind of control a lighter weight. But that next day was the same sort of thing as what I felt in this cycling class too, is just a little bit of discomfort. So it becomes this, this line again between um, pushing through the pain versus pushing through the discomfort. And I'm not really a fan of pushing through pain. I believe like to stop at pain mm -hmm. and that discomfort can be okay. But then learning how, like learning what discomfort is versus pain is also a hard thing to understand for yourself and a hard thing to teach to other people. Yeah, without a doubt, <laughs> without a doubt. Have you gone back to yoga? Yes. Okay. Um, I went back to yoga at exactly the eight week mark um, to the exact same class and the teacher gave me a hug and she was so happy to see me back. Um, and I did what I could. I was definitely not 100% at the time. Um, I used a lot of blocks as, as props to help me throughout the class and I brought them with me on every move. So if I'm doing lunges at the front, I had two blocks with me up there. As we moved into like, into the side, into Prasarita, I had I moved the blocks with me. So everything, like I, I like to tell people too, if you practice yoga out there, like do not be afraid to use blocks or blankets or straps or anything that you need to better your practice and be more in your body. A lot of people are ashamed to use props. They think that it makes them weak or a beginner or not as good as that girl up there in the front with the cool pants. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like Yoga is a personal practice. It has nothing to do with anyone else in the room. And if you need a block, use a block. Like, <laughs> you will be so much better off for it. So it's nice to see, for me, how many props I was using <laughs> at week eight. And now I'm still using props, but every week it gets a little bit better. Um, and I'm able to go a little bit deeper or I moved to the block from like the highest setting to now I'm on the lowest setting of okay. the block. Um, I can put my hands back on the floor again in a forward fold. I'm so happy about that. Um, but if I do a wide-legged forward fold, 
I don't quite have that hinge yet. Um, something, a combination between the hamstring and adductor stretch is is still really uncomfortable. Okay, for me. let's go back a little bit to the actual protocol that you use for your rehab. What sort of movements, exercises were you doing in the different phases? Um, I have a list with me because my brain will forget these things. Awesome. Um, yeah. So as I mentioned, I did the agility and stabilization program. Um, and the first phase consisted of um, a lot of sidestepping, grapevines. Um, we went both directions with that. And then to your, you're getting used to the leg going in front and behind, to the right and to the left. So it doesn't matter if you have a right hamstring tear or a left hamstring tear, all angles are covered. <laughs> Um, single leg balance with eyes open and eyes closed. We also did bridging, um, particularly so glute bridging. So you're laying on your back, feet flat on the floor, knees bent, um, and then basically like a small hip thrust up into the air. That one was everything was done by time. So that was four sets of 20 seconds. Um, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, we did a static hold, so it was an isometric hold there. Okay. Um, planks, we did a lot of planks, side planks, forearm planks, or for or full extension. It's really up to you as long as you make sure you have the posterior pelvic tilt part. Okay. So making sure that you're really focusing on the hips. Don't let your back sink, right? Um, don't let your shoulder blades sink. Keep, keep a good core. <laughs> a lot of core work, a lot of core stabilization. And then... Icing and long sitting. That was a part of the program, too. Oh, interesting. So icing was a part of it. Um, that progressed into... So that was basically all phase one, just stepping and core work. Okay. Um, phase two progressed with the intensity of the stepping increased. So we kept the same movements, but we just um, built it up a bit. The time stayed the same. The set stayed the same. If you use kind of the, like the Borg scale which is kind of your own perce like perception of how hard you're working, mm -hmm. um, that's what we use for intensity. So okay. it, was, it was kind of like, okay, keep maybe go a little bit faster um, or maybe like squat a little bit lower while you take your steps. So anything you can do that makes it feel like you're increasing your intensity. Okay. Um, we also did jogging in place, and then that was also picking up the foot only a few inches off the ground, so a very controlled motion. So there's a, an agility aspect okay. of it and windmill touches so this was kind of um the windmill touches was funny it was the way that it was described in this article um it's more in line with what you would think as like a an rdl balance okay like a single leg rdl yeah where you kind of hinge the leg back and then swing it forward okay hinge it back and then swing it forward um, but in that process, it's you're controlling it. So you're getting both the concentric and the eccentric okay. control. Um, and you're getting some quad work in there, too. Yeah. So, so that was, um, I don't know, it makes you feel like you're getting ready for a sports game. <laughs> soccer, maybe think back to soccer days. Let's go. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, kick a ball. Yeah, was, let me check if there's anything else in there really briefly. Ice for 20 minutes if any symptoms or local fatigue or discomfort are present. So, again, icing. That's pretty much it. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Simple program. Okay, cool. So simple that you get bored. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Awesome. Let's jump gears a little bit. So you have your yoga background, your yoga training, you have your personal training background. Obviously, you're, we're still really early in your schooling. Yes. But how do you see all of that fitting together? Like, what do you kind of picture yourself as a therapist kind of branching out and doing once you're licensed? Yeah. 
Um, this is where I get really excited. So I, um, this is also coincidentally my essay into grad school. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I have, I've always had this vision, um, well maybe not always, but in the last, recent years I've had this vision to want to really integrate PT um, with my with my background, with yoga and personal training. And um, that stemmed from working with personal training clients who really wanted to do these things, um, any sort of goal. I had a woman who really wanted to, to increase her upper body strength so that she would have an easier time putting her luggage in the overhead compartment, like little life functional things. But she also had a torn rotator cuff and was developing like symptoms of frozen shoulder, which later ended up to really be frozen shoulder. And I, I told her time and time again, I would love to help you, but it is outside my scope right now to be able to do these sorts of things with you. Um, I recommend you see a physical therapist or, or get some sort of a, a physician's note to say that you're cleared to do this. Um, or a physical ther a therapist reference to say you're clear to do this too because I can't comfortably do that with you. It's a liability for both of us, for yeah. me and the gym that I work for. <laughs> um, and so that was a that just put a major roadblock in what we could do and, and how I could help her at the time. Um, and then it was kind of an inspiration to go PT route. So through my process of, of applying to PT schools, you do a lot of volunteer hours. And so I volunteered... Um, at three different sites. Um, I did a school setting where I worked with a football team. I traveled with a um, college football team um, and I worked under their AT and PT. Um, and then I also worked in a hospital where I did inpatient and outpatient combination and got to see some OT, some occupational therapy at the time too, which was very cool. Um, and then I did a, a classic outpatient ortho um, PT clinic. And um, it's the outpatient ortho clinic in particular that I noticed patients would come, um, they'd get, they'd go through their program, uh, they'd see good results, they're really happy, they're happy with PT, they get discharged, we don't see them for some time, then they come back, they re-injured themselves, they didn't, they didn't stay with their home exercise program, um, they just lost accountability. And as a personal trainer, that's something that I was able to really help people with was accountability. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, okay, there's a there's a missing link here. The the PT patients need accountability, and the PT or the personal training clients have accountability, <laughs> and the personal training clients need physical therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so hmm, let's do PT and PT. <laughs> Um, so that kind of became my big vision was to integrate those and the yoga has a component because to me that's still such a great way to, to heal the mind and, and keep the body recovered through yeah. all of it. So, um, I just wanted to open up my own gym or my own clinic or I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to go one-on-one -on -one with people, um, come to you. Like all of that was kind of still up in the air and it still is up in the air. Yeah. Um, but the fusion of those sorts of things and being able to to um, fill that gap for people or fill that void, that was really what sparked me to go and become a clinician. Okay. Um, and now I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens with my clinical experiences in the next two years. Um, and I have all the faith that I by the time I graduate, I'll have gone to 12 different sites with my school. Um, 
So I have all the faith in the world that one of those 12 will spark something in me that'll trigger my niche and I'm going to go off on it. So <laughs> we shall see. Yeah, that's awesome. Any um, could be fitness, nutrition related, clinical related, any just kind of parting thoughts when it comes to, you know, getting an injury, overcoming that injury and getting back to activity. Yes. Um, I think going back, the fear element that you mentioned is huge. And um, so much of what we do is mental. And and to know that, um, yes, the world of fitness is classically, we think of it more on the musculoskeletal side. Um, When we talk about fitness, we usually talk about someone's abs or biceps. Like we refer to a muscle to reflect the work that they've put in to become that way. Um, And there's so many other things to fitness besides just resistance training and (laughs) developing large muscles. (laughs) But, um, But we classically think of it as musculoskeletal. But what really runs our musculoskeletal system is our nervous system. And to recognize that our nervous system has such an impact on what we do that it matters to go get that recovery. It matters to be in your parasympathetic nervous system, to take the rest and digest part of your life seriously, to to be kind to yourself, to, to practice meditation, to do things that bring you into a calm place that you can heal yourself on that side of it because we get so much sympathetic nervous system activity yes. in just daily living. Yes, like we you do. you look at your phone and you get some sympathetic <laughs> right? nervous system. So, so we are almost, especially here in the U.S., like, I mean, actually, no, I would say globally, through any yeah. travel experience I've had, it's... We it's just live in the it. Same. Yeah, we live in that. Um, so to, to recognize that so much of what, we, of what we do is if you can control your nervous system and really get a hold of, of your emotions and treat yourself to, to taking some recovery time, like go lay at the beach or <laughs> go, you know, take a nap, like do something that's going to keep you calm. Yeah. Um, that that can be a huge part of your fitness recovery and making sure, or your injury recovery, or making sure that you can kind of keep a nice, healthy body going forward. Awesome. I love that you went that direction because that is that mental side is such an important aspect and it's very often forgotten. So I love that. Cool. If someone wants to reach out to you, has questions, just wants to follow your journey, where can they find you at? Yes, um, you can find me. Most popularly on Instagram. <laughs> That's actually one of the easiest ways to get a hold of me too. So if you want to reach out and talk to me some more, you can send me a message on there. My account is at Susie Ray Fitness. Um, that's S-U-S-I-E-R-A-E Fitness. Um, and I am more than happy to talk with anyone about any random thing that we've talked about. Um, it can be from bodybuilding to golf to physical therapy to nutrition to whatever. So I'm happy to talk. I'm quite the talker <laughs> at times. Um, and I also have my website is www.suzylunardi.com. So you can reach me there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was so much fun. And that was great information that you shared. So I'm sure my listeners will enjoy it and have a great one. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And that concludes this episode of Highly Functional I truly appreciate the time you spend to listen to myself and my colleagues share with you how to become highly functional individuals and how to be highly functional individuals. 
If you learned great information from this, I would love for you to share it with your friends and help them become highly functioning individuals as well. Until next time, go out and be highly functional.